This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. It's always such a privilege uh, just to stand up in front and have the privilege um, of, of having the microphone and just, be, just to be able to share um, what God is, is doing in my life. Uh, and it's been quite some time since I've uh, been up here in, in this capacity. Uh, it was pre-COVID times, uh, end of 2019. Uh, so a lot has happened uh, in that time. And I want to just start by saying thank you. Um, I want to say thank you to, to this family, um, to this community that, is, that has meant so much, both to me and to Kim. I thought I was done already this morning. Um, I want to say thank you to, to Andre and, and Sonica. I thanked them this morning, but I can't thank them enough. Um, so I could get up here every Sunday and do this. Um, but thank you, Andre, again, just for believing in me, believing in us, backing us, um, for just, uh, you are just being ready to pray for us and, and share what, what God is speaking to you um, all the time and for being practical and, and making a fund available to us. Um, and thank you to you guys to, um, just for, for giving to us so generously, um, for sowing into our lives in, in a time when we were, we were in need um, financially. So I want to thank you, really. Um, I, I can't thank you enough. Thanks just don't seem like you know, enough. Uh, but it's really heartfelt, and I, and I hope you receive it. And um, yeah, I also just want to pray for the oh, thanks. Sorry for the last uh, last group of people, and that is uh, the the Good Friday gang, as I as I call them. Um, just the people who who came around us, uh, came to our home uh, on Good Friday when when Kim passed away exactly a month ago today. Um, it was it was a beautiful morning, and I want to thank you for your bravery and for just for for being there and for sticking it out. And I realize not not many of us have ever seen or do see people die. Um, and uh, I know it was possibly a bit of a traumatic experience, but I, I just trust that um, you know, that the beauty of it will have overridden um, any of that any of that pain. So thank you for being there. Thank you for having the faith with us, um, putting your faith with ours to the very end. Okay, so I, uh, I have a message um, this morning, and um, I wasn't quite sure if it, if it was like a sermon, but I think from the first one it made a bit of sense. Um, I, I might go off, off a bit, um, but I, I trust that you will follow me from, from A to Z a bit. But ultimately, this morning, my heart is actually just to share what's on my heart. Um, it's kind of like a debriefing session for me, um, just, to, just to let you know what's been happening in my life and, and, and what God has been teaching me through what we've been journeying through uh, over the past year, three years, year, and especially the last few months. So, yeah, I just trust that God will, will do something this morning, that he will, that he will speak, speak through what I have to say. Okay, but let's just dedicate the, the morning to God. Father God, we thank you, Lord, just for, for the privilege of, um, of coming into your house, Lord, of of worshiping you, Lord. I thank you that we can so freely and with such boldness come into the throne room of heaven, Lord. I thank you that you have arms wide open, ready to embrace us and to bring us in, Father. And Lord, I just this morning consecrate myself and and, and my words and my thoughts um, and every leading 
that I feel this morning, Lord. I just pray that it brings you glory. I pray that you will speak through me, Lord. I pray that every word that I speak won't be my words, but will be your words, Lord. And I just trust for, for you to release a hope this morning into our hearts, Jesus. To release a hope and to, and to also just wake us up, Father God. Wake our spirits up to the brevity of this life and the importance of those things, Lord, on, the, on this earth that actually, that actually make a difference, Lord, that matter. I pray that you will impart to us an eternal perspective this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna start with a with an exercise in in, in visualization. Okay. So you're gonna you're gonna close your eyes or go to the back of your head or, or something. Um, but first we're gonna be a little bit interactive to to set the scene. Okay, so don't don't shout at me, I'm gonna shout at you. Uh, so Annette, give me a day of the week. Must be a weekday. Tuesday. Okay, this morning it was Wednesday. Earlier it was Wednesday. Now we got Tuesday. Okay, Hendrik, give me a give me a time of day. Somewhere in the morning. Quarter to nine. Sure, that's very specific. Okay, <laughs> most people would shoot for an hour or maybe a half hour, but quarter to. Okay, quarter to nine on a Tuesday morning. Claire, what are you doing at quarter to nine on a Tuesday morning? Are you here meeting with me? Huh? Or are you getting ready? Okay, Claire's here at church office meeting. Guy, what are you doing? Dipping cattle, lovely stuff. Uh, who else can I see? Uh, Dan, we already picked on you You're in the trans Lynn, what do you do? Working on your computer. Lovely. Lonnie? Replying to emails. To the choice of being a designer. Okay. Wonderful stuff. Brett, what are you doing? Shouting at someone because the wall's not straight. Okay. <laughs> okay. And Andre, he's drinking coffee because that's all he does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want all of you to go to your normal Tuesday, quarter to nine place, normal weekday, nothing out of the ordinary. Have you, have you got a place? Are you with me? Are you, are you picturing it? You're somewhere. Everything is just 100% normal. Okay, everyone close your eyes. And in three, two, one, bam. A SWAT team breaks through your front door. They kick it down. They come in there. They, you turn around in disbelief. They take your head and they slam it down into your computer keyboard. They slam it onto that, that skew wall. Everything is chaos. There's, there's colleagues running everywhere. There's pieces of paper flying all over the place. They pull one left arm behind your back. The right arm goes behind. They slap the cuffs on you, put you in the police van, walk you out, read you your rights, and off you go down to the police station. You have just been arrested. You can open your eyes. For me, it was a, a normal day early on in, in 2018 when I picked up the phone call from my wife, nothing out of the ordinary for her to phone me. And her voice broke, and there was silence, and she said, I found a lump in my left breast. And they don't know what it is, and they're a little bit concerned about it, so they're sending me for more tests. And in that instant, that scenario played out. I didn't know it at the time. My imagination is good, but not that good. But at that moment, a SWAT team broke into our lives, kicked down our door, 
handcuffed us and arrested us. Our normal lives had been arrested. Another meaning of the word arrest is a sudden stop. A cardiac arrest is a heart attack. That which was working ceases in an instant. It's like driving down a highway when the coast is clear and you kick it into cruise control and next thing you know, you've plowed into the back of a park bus at 120 kilometers an hour. Everything stops right then. And I know that many of us have, have been through such an arrest. It often comes in the, in the form of loss, news of a loss, news of someone passing away suddenly or losing their, their battle against a, a long disease. Sometimes there's test results you're waiting for that come back and they reveal bad news. Maybe you're in an accident and you receive the words from the doctor that say, you will never be normal again. Life will never return to the way it was. Perhaps you gave birth and a few hours later the child passed away. Maybe it's your boss who calls you in and says, we no longer have room for you, we're letting you go. Or perhaps it's the shaky words out of your spouse's mouth to say, I'm done, this is over. For those of you who have experienced such an arrest in your life, I don't need to explain too much about the feelings and, and the pain, and of course it's all very different, and, and, and my pain and your pain is, is possibly worlds apart or, or very similar. But for the others who, who haven't felt that, who haven't known an arrest in their life, I find myself in a, in a tough spot this morning. Because I want you to know the hurt, the healing, the hope, the pain, the heartache, the grief and the sorrow. I want you to know the defeat and the victory. I want you to be able to stand in my shoes this morning knowing the outcome. Stand in them having walked in them for the last three years. And I want you to know all this. And what I wrote in my notes next as I was preparing is that I want you to know it, but I don't want you to experience it. I don't want you to have to go through it. I don't want you to have to feel that pain. But I, I couldn't let go of that statement. I had to question. I would never want to wish any, any bad thing on, on any person here. But I feel that there is no way to truly know the pain without feeling it, without going through it. And I know what it's like. I've, I've listened to people get up and share of, of their loss and their pain, and, and it hurts. And often it, it challenges you, but you can never really know until you go through it. Like I say, I don't want to wish any bad thing on anybody this morning. But I want us to renew our minds. I want our minds to be renewed around what we feel about hardships and suffering, how we think about them. Because our lives are filled with so many of these potential pitfalls and trials and challenges. And I want us to avoid the trap set by the enemy to turn around and to hurl abuse at God, saying, how can you let this happen? How can you do this to me? Why? 
And I want to say this this morning. Following Jesus is not an antidote. Following Jesus is not an antidote to all of these trials and all of these challenges that we face. And if you have believed that, you've been misled. And I would, I would hope that we never preach a gospel, certainly not in this church, but perhaps has been said in the church that following Jesus exempts you from this kind of thing. It's not the case. And I know what the, what the question is in, in, in my scenario, what the question for you guys possibly is, because I know I would ask a similar question if I was on the outside. And the question is, how can someone who loved Jesus so much, was so full of faith, how can he let her die? How can he let that happen to a family who is serving him faithfully? What about those poor innocent girls? See, Jesus is not an instant fix. He's not two extra strength panados for a headache or two cups of HDH for a greening pool. He's not a couple of shakes of marina brass salt over a tasteless scalp choppy. Jesus is not an antidote. Following Jesus does not exempt us from trials. In fact, Jesus is quite frank in John 16.33, where he says, In this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't say this world is filled with trouble, because that, that would be pretty true, but that would give us an out. If it's filled with trouble, perhaps following Jesus is the answer to that. I just need to follow him and I can bypass the troubles of this world. But I want to emphasize the you and the will. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And in this world, you will have trouble. It's just a matter of time. And I hate to be the bearer of that bad news. I remember preaching um, possibly that last sermon in 2019 or one before where I, where I stood up and I said that up until this point in my life, I had never experienced any heartache, any any tragic loss close to me. My parents had died when I was much younger. I barely knew them. And both my mom and dad were around. My sister was around. Uh, and our immediate family had remained intact. And that was until December last year when my mom passed away. And four months later, Kim passed away. I spent 30-something years not knowing that loss until it came. You will know troubles in this world. And I repeat, Jesus is not the antidote. And I don't want to say it, but I'm, but I'm going to this morning. I don't think that we should be looking for one. There's so much to be gained from a season of suffering and hardship that I don't think we should be necessarily running away from it, trying to avoid it. Don't run to it, but when it comes, embrace it, because there is so much to be learned, and I've seen it in my own life, I've seen what's happened in this journey, and I saw it in Kim, and there's a verse in the Bible that spells it out so well. It's Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. It says, not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, 
because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I saw this process play out in my wife's life. In suffering, she persevered. In her perseverance, she developed an incredible character. And ultimately, that ended up in an indistinguishable hope. And I want to make sure that you know as well that Kim was not perfect. Many of you would have, would have tuned into the memorial and, and heard all the wonderful things that, that were said about her. And none of that is false, but it's a snapshot of, of, of towards the end of her life. She wasn't always on fire for Jesus until the suffering came. And that's what I want to say. When the suffering comes, embrace it. Take it. Use what, what, what God wants to do. Use it to refine your character. Persevere through it until the character comes and you get a hope, an eternal hope. Not a hope that mom remembered Melrose, an eternal hope. When we got that call, I shared this in the memorial, it was like receiving a gift, which is a strange thing to say, I know, but we received a gift that few people will ever receive. And we got to understand what it's like to rely on God, to have faith in Him, to have a hope in eternity, regardless of the outcome here on earth. And Kim's hope wasn't just for her. It wasn't just an eternal peace so that she can weather the storm. It was for others, and she shared it. And I believe her, the hope that she had and the faith that she had is impacting many lives. C.S. Lewis says, Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people would think, think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. I remember our last mission trip that, that Kim and I did together. We went down to, um, to show for Port Elizabeth to present a course to them. Um, and we had an opportunity to, to, to share in front of the church. And, and Kim got up and, and she shared her, her journey um, over the past couple of years and what she'd been through. And I don't remember much of the story, but I remember this one thing. She stood up and in front of that room of people, she said that I'm no longer scared of death. You see, the devil can't threaten a believer with heaven, with death. It's an upgrade for us. It's an upgrade into paradise. It's like taking a handful of sweets in front of a kid's face and shaking them and saying, don't you dare smack your brother or sister again. I will give you these sweets and you will eat them. <laughs> Not going to work. But it's difficult for us. It's difficult for us to get to that place, to live in such a way that we, that we no longer fear death. And these weren't just words for Kim. 
it was interesting. She said, I saw it. I saw it happen in her life. I saw something change as she was liberated from the fear of death. And it challenges me. It's easy for me to, I, you know, I obviously worked through her with, worked, sorry, with her through that. But I was, I was working through the, the one, as the one being left behind. The fear, it was the fear of her death that I had conquered. But now I find myself when, in a place where I too have to, have to reevaluate my fear of death. And Sonica shared uh, with a group of us a, a little while ago how Kim's testimony had freed her from the fear of death. And I trust that, that, it's, that it's doing that for, for more of us. But she had concerns over, over leaving Andre and Vian, Vian behind. How would he cope? How would they cope? How would Vian cope without a, without a mom? How could Andre continue doing what he's doing and still look after Vian? But she realized through Kim's testimony that God will provide. God will make a way. God will make provision for those who are left behind. And if I asked now for a show of hands, who wants to go to heaven? I believe there possibly wouldn't be an arm that wouldn't go up right now. But if I tacked on the word tonight at the end of that sentence, I think a lot of those hands would, would slowly drop because we, we, we love the thought of heaven, but we're so attached here on earth. And, and Andre shared about it last week in his message where you know, he said, we don't long for heaven because we love the things of the world so much. And I know I've got things. I've got a house. I've got a car. I've got a family. I've got a career. I've got passions. I've got dreams. I've got things I want to accomplish here on earth. I've got a tree we planted in the garden that I want to see grow. I've got things that I want to see here on this earth, and I have attachments to them. But we need to learn to, to let go. I don't think the fear of death really bothers many of us. I think the fear of dying is, is possibly not something that, that really keeps us up at night, but it's the fear of the ones we leave behind. It's the fear of their loss and their pain that gets us. So I'm challenged by this message, and, I, and I'd, love to, you know, I'd love to bring a complete sermon to you, a, a, a victory, you know, something that, I'm, that I've already had victory in, but it, it's something that I have to work through. I'm the only one left for my two little girls now. I think it's easier for us, uh, as, you know, with a spouse still, to say that I'm okay with fear of death because my, my husband's there or my wife is there to, to look after them. Or I've, I've all, I am all they have now, and, and if something happens to me, you know, it's a logistical nightmare. They must move and go and live somewhere else or, you know, I don't want to get down that road. You know, right now they're still living with home and dad is at home and, and dad is there, so there's some stability. But I need to release myself of the fear of death. And I need to release God of the responsibility of keeping me alive. Because ultimately, we need to be headed for heaven. We need to know that that's where we want to go. And, and why do we not want to leave people behind? Because we don't want them to suffer. If I go now, if I go tomorrow, if I go tonight, my girls will suffer. But in their suffering, I hope that they will persevere. 
And I hope that in their perseverance, they will develop a character like no other. And in that character, they will find true hope. I want to challenge you with this quote. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Our futures are completely unknown to us. And that was made even more real to us of how uncertain our future was when a life-threatening disease came into our lives, especially following Kim's second diagnosis. But we chose to trust in a known God. And I believe that if you're saved here, if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you know God. You know him. He has a book. We have a book called the Bible full of promises, full of anecdotes, full of stories of who God is, who he is to us. This is the God that we know, and we need to latch on to that stuff. And that's what we did. We held on. We chose to trust in the God we knew, and we chose to trust our unknown future to the God who was known to us. And we chose to trust everything that he said and that he revealed to us, And you could argue that it didn't end so well. But I have a book here that that suggests otherwise. This book, available at the Red Tulip Boutique, is a a journal of Kim's every, every word and every promise that Kim received over the last three years. She wrote it down in this book. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few of the words um, that are in you. And it's easy for me to look at this book and think it's pages and pages, pages and pages of unfulfilled prophecies and promises, pages of disappointment. But God has redeemed every single one of these words in you already, and I believe he will continue to do so. And I just felt today that there are some of us here this morning who have a book, not a physical book, but you have a, you have a book, you have, a, you have promises and you have dreams and you have truth that was settled in your, in your heart. You have things that have gone and they've died, things that God has promised you, things that you, you thought you would see come to fruition in this life. And I just believe that God wants to redeem those this morning. He wants to reignite passions, reignite dreams, reignite words that he's spoken over your life. So in, in, in a prophetic act, I want you to take out that book this morning, and I want you to open it up, and I want you to be vulnerable in front of God and say, Lord, what about this that you spoke over my life? Where is the fruit of this promise? I don't see the truth of this in my life. I want you to hold that out before him this morning, and I want to trust that even as I read these words, that the enemy has from so many of us. 2018. Two words here from two different people saying the same thing. I will see my daughters married. That's not going to happen. Not in this world. Kim won't be physically present at her daughter's weddings. But I believe she will be watching. I believe she will see her daughters married, and I believe she will celebrate from a banquet hall so beautiful that none of us can even imagine it. 
God loves me, and he is not done with me. To that I say, Amen. God loves Kim, and he is not done with her. The very fact that I am up here, and I am speaking, I am sharing her message, is testimony of that. He is not done. Running a race and winning, the word victory above my head. In a climbing race, getting to the top of the mountain faster than anyone else. She did it. She beat us all to the mountain of Zion. Kim attended um, a virtual healing rooms thing held by the Bethel School. Um, and one of the guys prayed over her that she sees, he sees her swimming in a beautiful lake, fully restored. I hang on to that picture. It's such a beautiful representation for me of where she is right now. Our house will be a house of healing. People will be coming up our driveway. People will come to us for healing. You might think that I'm disappointed by the fact that God didn't heal Kim. To a degree, of course, I would have loved her to be healed. But I'm not allowing the enemy to rob me of the words and the prophecies spoken over our life that we will see people healed at our hands. And every word that that is in this book that was received for Kim, I believe is for me. We were united. We became one flesh in marriage. And she is handing me the torch. She is handing me the baton, and I'm going to run with it. Preparing a set of keys for our families, keys to open for our family, keys to open doors and unlock healing. These challenges are stepping stones into ministry. You are using these challenges to unlock greater works, a new legacy. And even my name pops up here. JP, need to step out. Here I am. God wants to use both of us in ministry. He is. A book will be written for the glory of God. Speaking to generations, I will not die prematurely. Think you've got me snookered there, eh? She did not die prematurely. She died in maturity. I tell you what Kim learned in the last few months of her life takes most of us a lifetime. In her suffering, she developed such a character and such a hope that nobody, nothing can take that away from her. She died in maturity. The Lord is giving me a platform to testify, to witness, a vision of all darkness and fear being sucked away, all fear gone. He is filling me with dynamite power. You are going to be a messenger in all these different places in East London and distant provinces. An inspiration and someone who leaves a legacy for many generations. It's quite a long, beautiful word here that I'm going to skip past. And then finally, she ends off with a, uh, with a word that came from Alan. Um, he was here this morning, and I, I pulled his leg a bit because he said that Kim will record a testimony, and we'll be on YouTube, and it will receive a thousand views. I told him that he wasn't thinking big enough. The memorial service that was, that was filmed here for Kim has already reached 5,200 views on Facebook with some 300 plus comments. Kim has a testimony. Kim has a message 
And it's not only reaching distant provinces, it's reaching distant shores. These words are, have, and will continue to come to pass. And I believe that God wants to do that for every word spoken over your life. Everything that has died to disappointment, in Jesus' name, I say resurrect. You know, when we came together on that day to, to celebrate Kim um, and pay tribute to her in her memorial, I didn't expect, I expected, but I didn't expect what, what happened and the, and the aftermath of what happened on that morning. And people were so touched and I received so many messages and feedback from others who, who watched that, that, that service and, and were so moved by, by Kim's life and uh, and what was said on the morning. And I, I got messages from from people, married couples, who were looking at each other differently, letting go of petty things, valuing their relationships. I got a message from someone I hadn't seen for quite some time, and he just said it, it was a slap around the ears for him, a wake-up call to how comfortable he had become in his walk with God. I received a message from someone who said that, when I spoke, every bit of bitterness dissolved for not seeing Kim healed. People were looking inwardly, asking, what the heck am I actually doing with my life? Kim ministered so powerfully on that day. Andre shared with us in a, um, in a staff meeting one Tuesday morning earlier in this year, he had been reading Jeremy Riddle's book, I think it's called Reset, if I'm not mistaken. And he, in that book, he said, I am a prisoner of hope. And I remember I got out my phone and, sorry, Andre, I, I was listening. Um, but right in the middle of the meeting, I just messaged Kim and I said, Andre's just shared this. How cool is this statement? That Jeremy Riddle said he's a prisoner of hope. And it just resonated with me so much. And I sent another message and I said, love, we are prisoners of hope. We have no other choice. We are bound. We are held captive by hope. And um, Kim then actually, she must have looked it up. Um, at the time, she was already looking for, for titles of her book. Um, so that, that obviously piqued her interest. And she came back and said, ah, oh, already a title for a book. But she, but she unearthed a verse. I didn't even know this was scripture. Such a cool thing to say. Obviously, it came from scripture. Zechariah 9 verse 12 Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Amen. That does deserve a clap. It's such an amazing scripture. And I just believe it is such a call for us in this season. God is saying, come back. Come back to your fortress. Come renew your hope. Renew your strength. Come to that safe place. Be bound by it. Be held captive by it. And I will restore twice as much to you. I hadn't realized it, but, but since that day, since our arrest, somewhere along the way we had, we had had our hearing, we had, we had had our trial, and we had been found guilty. We had been sentenced to a lifetime of imprisonment. And the truth is that we all find ourselves there. Due to our fallen nature, we are all guilty. 
It wasn't God's plan. He didn't plan it that way. He wanted us to, to live with him in perfect harmony for all eternity. But we messed up. But God had a plan B. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And now Jesus holds us, holds before us an option. We're guilty. We're sentenced to a lifetime of imprisonment. But Jesus says you can choose what you want to be a prisoner of. Are you going to be a prisoner of fear, of misery, of sorrow, of doubt, of torment, of hopelessness? Or are you going to be a prisoner of hope? Are you going to tether yourself to the God of hope? I'm afraid if you haven't made your choice yet, it's likely that the choice has been made for you already. I want to ask you, what will it take for you to shackle yourself to the God of hope? I remember one of my darkest moments in, in, in my journey alongside Kim was in, in the last week of her life. Um, she just presented with an incredibly acute pain in her, in her gland here on her, on her left-hand side. And she is one tough cookie. Uh, I, I don't know person with a higher pain threshold than, than what Kim had, but she was just sobbing in pain and wailing, crying out so loud that she, she woke our daughters up, one of our, my eldest daughter, who usually sleeps like a rock, and I remember just running around the house from microwave to freezer to get heat packs and, and, and ice packs and oil for massaging and just anything I could possibly do in the natural and also running between my, my daughter's room, just telling her that it's okay and mommy's all right. And it was so, it was just so, I was helpless in that moment. And the whole time I was just praying in the spirit and just asking God, please, Lord, heal. Even if not everything, just, just take away this pain right now. And I remember in that evening I cried out to God. And I said, Lord, if you could just do this one thing, if you could take this all away from Kim right now, Father God, you can have it all. I will serve you for the rest of my life. I was ready to write an I owe you. God, I owe you my life. You can take it all. And I want to ask, what, what is that request for you? What is that one thing that you would do, that you would trade your life for? Perhaps it's a similar thing. Lord, if you would just rid me of this disease, you can have it all. Lord, if I could just fall pregnant, you can have it. Lord, if you would get me out of this pit of debt, I will give you my life. Lord, if you can bring the right partner across my path. It's all yours. Lord, if you would just fix the potholes outside my street, you can have it all. But no sooner had, I, had those words left my mouth, I already owe everything to him. What do I have that does not come from him? Every talent, every ability, 
my house, my car, the money I have, the money I make, my wife, my kids, it all belongs to God. And I think if we truly understood this, we would live so differently, knowing that everything we have is from Him. The cruel of wealth, status, and possessions means absolutely nothing in the light of relationships and eternity. I want to share one last story with you. Um, didn't go so well this morning, but I'm feeling a bit drier, so hopefully I can get through it. But I'm burdened this morning, and I don't want anybody to leave here without knowing, without knowing what, I, what I know, without feeling what I've felt over the past few years. And I, like I say, I don't think the information is transferable without the pain. But if I could just Bluetooth it to you so you could get it, so that you could leave with something, so that you could just leave feeling and, and, and knowing something about what I've learned about life. Clearly not dry enough. There were no more than about 90 minutes left on Kim's clock. And we had been surrounded the whole day by lots of people praying together, worshipping together, trusting together till the end. And um, I think I was on the bed with Kim. I was lying with her and everyone was just praying and we were worshipping and carrying on as we had been. And, and she just turned to me and said, can you take me outside? I, wanna, I want you to swing. I just want you to swing me. I remember it was a cold day, and the wind was blowing, and Kim was by this time pretty weak. And we picked her up, wrapped her in a blanket, and she had a, a drip, so we wheeled her drip stand out. Stephen helped me to take her out, and we, we put her on the swing, and then he left, and it was just a her and I. And I pushed her gently on the swing. And then I got down, and I just held her. It was such a beautiful moment for me. And I'll tell you what, there is no price that I would not pay. Nothing in this life that I would not trade to have just a minute with her again on that swing. I don't want you to come to the end of your life and have regrets about your relationships. Have regrets about pursuing a career at the expense of your family. If you do one thing, just squeeze your partner's hand tighter and go home and give your kids a hug. This is the important stuff in life. And if you can get that from something that I'm saying today, I, I just believe that today has been a win. I want to leave you with this last verse. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I want to encourage you to imprison yourself in hope. Not just for eternity, but in this life. Life is hard enough to live without God, without a hope. This is my prayer for you. That you will be filled with all joy and all peace. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abound in hope. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.